Amen. We can worship the Holy God. Father God, I pray this morning that as we uh, start studying this attribute, continue this attribute of God series, Lord, that we would see you more clearly, that we would understand you more deeply, as that would lead to a love and a passion for you more, more wholeheartedly. Lord, I pray this morning for everybody in here that our eyes would be open, that our ears would be uh, open, that our mouths would be shut in the presence of a holy God, but that we stand in awe, awe and wonder at who you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Have you ever wished that you could be two places at one time? <laughs> Levi. <laughs> this actually, to lead in, this actually comes to Levi. Uh, a couple weeks ago, he had a decision that he didn't make. Um, he wanted to be at a birthday party that was being held at Mr. Gaddy's. Uh, and he also wanted to go to the varsity football game in Bloomington. So he had to make a choice, right? He couldn't be at both places at once. So what does he do? Does he go to Mr. Gaddy's? Does he go to the football game? And when he's presented with both those choices, you can only choose one. He says, I really want to do both. Well, unfortunately, he can't do both, right? You can never do both. He's limited. He can only be at one place at one time. Life at times would be easier if we were able to be more than one place at a time. But because we are physical beings, and we live within time and space, it's impossible. However, God doesn't run into this problem. God is everywhere at all times. God is omnipresent, okay? Omnipresent. He isn't limited by space. He's not limited by time. He is universally present in all places at all time. And this can be a difficult attribute for us to wrap our minds around. Um, one theologian said it this way, attempting to fit this aspect of God into our small minds is like trying to pour the bottomless ocean into a tiny thimble. It simply will not fit. And so we can be confused, we can be overwhelmed, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth exploring. We will never fully comprehend it, but it's worth gathering what information we can about God's omnipresence. Why? Because God's omnipresence demonstrates his grandeur and his immensity. When we first started this sermon series, I challenged us to attempt to discover who God is according to how he has revealed himself. And this is what we're going to continue to do this morning and for the rest of the series. We're going to stretch our understanding of who God is. We're going to try to take him out of that box and see him for how he has presented himself to us. And in order to do this accurately, we must make sure that we do not limit God. God will never fit in our box. You see, over this morning and the next two weeks, we're going to look at what are called God's omnis. All right, this morning is omnipresence, meaning God is everywhere. Next week, we're going to talk about his omniscience, meaning that he is all-knowing. And the following week, we're going to look at his omnipotence, meaning he is all-powerful. Now, I don't want you to be overwhelmed with those words. We're going to go in deeper with what they mean. But as you noticed in all of these, omnipresence, omniscience, and um, omnipotence, there's omni that comes at the beginning, and it simply means all. So when you see the word omni in front of presence, it means that he is present everywhere. He is all present. He is all present within his universe. How is this possible? How can God be everywhere in his universe? And what scriptures do we see that help reveal this most clearly? The first scripture I want us to look at together is found in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. This is David writing the psalm, and he says this, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. 
I live at the eastern horizon, yeah, eastern horizon, or settle in the western limits, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold on to me. If we look at this scripture, David is David is wondering, where could he possibly go and not be in the presence of God? And here in Psalm 139, we see that there is no place that we can travel that escapes the presence of God. In fact, if we look closely and see what David says, he hits on all directions in the psalm. If he goes to heaven, representing the north, God is there. If he goes to Sheol, representing the south, he is present. If he goes to the eastern horizon or the western horizon, God is there. There is nowhere in the created universe that we can go to escape God. We actually read about a prophet who tried the south. Jonah tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. God came to Jonah. He's got his own book. It's only four chapters long. It's amazing. God came to Jonah and he told that he told him that he needed to go to this city of Nineveh, or Nineveh, and he needs to preach repentance to the Ninevites. He had to go in and tell them if they don't obey, then God is going to destroy them. If they don't repent of their evil. God is going to destroy, destroy them. And we're told in Jonah chapter one, verse three, Jonah got the message and then Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid a fare and he went down in, or, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Jonah doesn't want to obey the Lord. So what does he try to do? He tries to flee from his presence. But get this, the Lord doesn't lose Jonah. In fact, the Lord sends a windstorm to toss about the boat that Jonah gets on. And then God sends a big fish to swallow up Jonah. And then Jonah prays while he's in the belly of the fish. And God hears his prayer and causes the fish to spit Jonah out on dry ground. No matter how hard Jonah tried to flee from the presence of the Lord, he couldn't go. Because God is everywhere. Whether in life or death, time or eternity, God is there with the fullness of his being. There's nowhere we can go in the universe where God isn't fully present, where he isn't fully himself. So God is both near to his creation and he is above his creation. We get these two aspects that God is above and beyond his creation, but he's also near to his creation. How is this possible? Well, God is both what we call transcendent, meaning above and beyond the range of normal or physical human experience. And he is what God or what theologians call imminent, meaning that he is close to his creation. He's near to us. God with us. Now remember that Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. So let's look, take a look at these two understandings of who God is and how God can be everywhere. And we're going to look at transcendence first. Psalm chapter 121 verse or 123 verse 1 says this, I lift my eyes to you, the one enthroned in heaven. And 97, nine, or Psalm 97, 9 says this, For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted above all the gods. Revelation 4, 2 says this, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. And then Psalm chapter two, verse four says this, the one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord ridicules them. So the first aspect of God being transcendent, we see that he is exalted in heaven and he is on his throne and he is sitting, ruling and reigning from his throne above his creation. 
or transcendent over his creation. Now, in the Hebrew, the word for heaven is this word shemayim, and it usually, or it literally, it can be translated to heights. When the scripture talks about God in heaven, the, the Lord in heaven, it's often in the plural shemayim, meaning that God is sitting in the loftiest or the highest of heights. He is higher than anybody else. And what is he doing? Where is he? Do, or what is he doing? He's sitting on his throne, and he's ruling and reigning. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. God is ruling and reigning over all his creation from his throne, never taking one day, minute, or hour off from his rule. On his throne in heaven, he towers over his creation in the highest of heights, the heavens of heaven. And he fills the heaven with his glory as he's watching the earth and being with his creation on the earth. Jesus even recognizes God's rule in heaven when he's, as he's sitting on the throne In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus says this, Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Or in Matthew chapter 23, verse 22, And the one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by God's throne and by him who sits on it. God's throne is established in heaven. Heaven is the dwelling place of God, but it's not the only place where he is present. God is also in the great beyond. God is also present in all of outer space. He holds up the sun and the moon and the stars. Job 9, chapter eight, or verse 8 says this, He alone stretches out the heavens and tread, treads on the waves of the sea. Or Psalm 104, verse 2, He wraps himself in light as if it were a robe, spreading out the sky like a canopy. In Job chapter 37, verse 18, can you help God spread out the skies as hard as a cast metal mirror? God is present even in the areas that are unreachable for humanity. Even in the areas that will never be touched by humans, God is present there. And this harkens back to what we talked about a few weeks ago, the sovereignty of God. God isn't an absent ruler. He is purposefully and fully present in every square inch of his universe, including the parts that will never be touched by humanity. And why is that? Because, simply, he is the one who holds everything together. He is the one in sole authority. He is the one who is never out of touch with the things that he created. As the universe continues to expand, it will never escape the presence of God. And we can see this because, as theologian A.W. Tozer says, the universe operates as an orderly system, not by impersonal laws, but by the creative voice of the imminent and universal presences, the Logos, or God himself. As our knowledge of the universe expands, our understanding about the vastness of God must expand too. And that psalm that we read earlier from David mentioned heaven and Sheol and the horizons, Places we can't escape the presence of, the God, of God. Now we can include the moon and the stars and Mars and Venus and, and Uranus and the, the outer reaches of our galaxy. God's presence and his involvement and his rulership doesn't change the further we leave from earth. Can you just imagine that? God isn't just the God of humanity. God is the God of everything. All things that have ever been created. He knows the names of the stars in space. He calls them by name, ruling over them, being present in them. In his most basic sense, he is ever present 
everywhere. And that should cause us to stand back in awe and in wonder at the vastness of our God. From the highest of highs to the depths of the sea, the outermost boundaries of this universe, God is present and involved in his creation. There is nowhere we could go that God isn't ruling and reigning. And here's the beauty of the truth. As transcendent and great as our God is, he is also close to us. He is near us. He is God with us. God is beyond and God is here. Moses commanded the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 39. He says this today, recognize and keep in mind that the Lord God is, or the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. So God is the God of the heavens. God is the God of the stars and the moons and the suns and the universes and the galaxies. But he's also Lord of the earth. God dwells equally in heaven and on earth. He doesn't have to go to the outermost parts of the universe and then put earth on hold. He is here and he is there. He is everywhere. He isn't just the gods of the he- the God of the heavens. He is the Lord of all creation, occupying both the heavenly and the earthly realms. There's no place that we could go to escape his presence. This is a beautiful truth for us to hold on fast to. God isn't divorced from what happens on earth, even though he has all of creation that he is ruling over, that he is watching over. He is not divorced from what happens here on earth. He is intricately and directly involved in the present present in the creation that he has created. He is both oversees his creation and is involved in it. And what's even more, we don't get a second hand presence of God on the earth. God is fully present on earth and in heaven. He isn't more real, more present in heaven than he is right here on earth. He exists everywhere in the fullness of who he is. Look at what God says in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this, I live in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the oppressed. You see what he says? I live in the high and holy place and with the lowly and oppressed to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. He does live high and holy, but he also lives in the brokenness of his people. God cares about you when you hurt. God draws near to you at the lowest places. He is with those who are broken down. He is present in every situation, in every circumstance, in sickness and in health, in pleasure and in pain, in hurt and in rejoicing. God is there with his own. He draws near to the brokenhearted. The holy, perfect, transcendent creator over all dwells in the dumps with those who love him. And that's why David can write in Psalm 23, verse 4, Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We have the assurance that God is with us no matter where we go. David is reflecting on this. As a shepherd, he is looking at the places that he could go, the darkest of valleys, and he knows that God is with him. 
when he's being chased by Saul, wanting to have him killed. David knows, I am, God is with me. When he's sitting on the throne ruling over Israel, David knows God is with him. In the deepest of valleys, in the darkest of nights, in the highest of highs, God is with him everywhere. When you are facing depression, when you are overwhelmed with anxiety, when you are elated at life, God is with you. His presence never leaves you. God also tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 24, he says this, Am I a God who is only near? This is the Lord's declaration. And not a God who is far away. Can a person hide in secret places where I cannot see him? The Lord's declaration. Do I not feel the heavens and the earth? The Lord's declaration. The Lord is everywhere from the highest of highs of the universe to the lowest of lows on earth. God doesn't leave those he loves behind. And this is why the author of Hebrews can boldly proclaim that be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we must boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with you everywhere and in all situations. Paul goes further to help us really grasp this idea in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. God is above all, he is through all, and he's in all. One theologian said, said this once, he says, God is over all things, under all things, outside of all, outside of all things, within all things, but not enclosed, without but not excluded, above but not raised up, below but not depressed, holy above presiding, holy beneath sustaining, and holy within filling. Our God, there's no place we can go to escape him. And even better than him being with you and I in the, in the things of life, if you belong to Jesus, you have put your faith in him, then he is in you. The God dwells in you. John fourteen seventeen says this. He is the spirit of truth, talking about the Holy Spirit. The world is unable to receive him because he doesn't, because it doesn't know him or see him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Or in 1420, it says, and on that day, you will know that I am in my father. You are in me and I am in you. Or John 15, four, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can I or neither can you unless you remain in me. So the God who rules over the heavens, the God who rules over the earth, the God who, who is everywhere also dwells in those who belong to him. God is in you. You are the dwelling place of the living God. You are the temple of God. The God is, isn't just around on the earth doing whatever he wants to. He's not just in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. If we belong to him, when we struggle, we know that he is in us. When we face the brokenness of life around us, the Holy Spirit empowers us. He gives us strength. He guides us into all truth. He convicts us of our sin. He covers us with his love. He pours out on us his grace. You were once alienated from God, but through the blood of Jesus, God now dwells in you. 
First Corinthians six nineteen says this. Don't you know that your body is a living t- is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. Romans eight nine says you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And verse 10 continues. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. God has come to give us life. Jesus dwelled with his people to die for his people so that his people can be redeemed and reconciled to God. And then Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is an interesting phrase. It says, you were far away from God, and you have now been brought near. What it doesn't say, though, is that God was far away from you. It doesn't say God was far away from you. It says you were far away from God. Why is that? Because God is present everywhere. And unfortunately, before our eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit, we are dead in our sins and trespasses, and we don't have access to the goodness of God. We aren't able to see the things that God is doing. Because of our sinful state, you are unable to see the beauty of God and the truth of the gospel. But when you give your life to God, you are transformed by the gospel. And the reality of God's presence permeates our very being. And we see him everywhere. Now we know that we aren't far away from God, but we have been brought near, not because of what we've done or who we are, but solely because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Since we have been brought near to God, he is with us and he is in us in all circumstances, the mountaintops and the valleys. And this reality is both comforting and convicting, or at least it should be. For comfort, we know that God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will hear us when we pray. The fact that God is everywhere means that it doesn't matter where you are or when you pray, he's going to hear you. He is with you in all circumstances. There's nowhere we can go to get away from God's presence. The comforting fact is, is that he hears us when we pray. Just imagine that the God who is ruling over the universe hears us when when we pray because he is with us. I'm going to go into something that might lose some of you, but I want you to hold fast. Okay. When we started this sermon series, I told you that this was going to stretch both you and I in our understanding of who God is, that we need to be willing to abandon any preconceived notions we have about who God is and let him reveal himself to us. And as, as I was studying for this sermon, God's omnipresence and this, this truth that I'm about to reveal to you really shook me. It rocked me to my very core. In fact, I read a line and I immediately reached out to my pastor friend in North Carolina and I said, hey, we got to talk this out for just a minute. Okay. And if I'm being really honest with you, I really thought about leaving this section out of the sermon because it might be hard for us to understand or to swallow. And I know there's probably going to be lots of questions, but I believe this is what the scriptures reveal about who God is. And if God is omnipresent, this truth must also be true. If God is omnipresence means that he is in heaven above and on the earth below and in the outer reaches of our universe and the depth of the ocean and all other created places, then this must also mean that God's presence is in hell with those separated from him. 
Those, well, not separated from him. Okay. Can I tell you what shocked me? Why this shocked me? It shocked me because whether intentionally or not, I was taught that hell is separation from God, which is true to an extent, and we'll get there in just a minute. But the thought that God is in hell can boggle my mind. In fact, I'm looking at some faces, and there's some faces going, what in the world is going on here? When I first read this, and I heard it, like I was, I had some whiplash. So the next, the logical question is, where do we see this in scripture? How can we see that God is in hell with those who didn't believe? Well, one of the verses we can go to is Revelation 14.10. And this is what it says. He will also drink the wine of God's wrath. He is those who don't believe, which is poured out from the full strength of his cup into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. This verse right here says that in the sight of the Lamb and in the sight of the holy angels, those who don't believe in God are going to be um, drinking the cup of God's wrath. Revelation is talking about those who don't believe in Jesus here. He is the unbeliever that will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the lamb that be in Jesus. So the torment will be enacted upon the unbeliever by God himself. God is the one who is enacting his justice. Now I'm not sure who first taught that hell is separation from God or that God isn't present in hell, but I can only imagine whoever came up with it first thought that they were trying to sanitize this truth about God. Maybe it came about by the same time by the people who were teaching that Satan rules over hell that hell is his domain. But if hell is a created place, then God is the overseer and the ruler of that realm, just as he is all other other created places. Teaching that God is the one who executes the judgment on unbelievers may make some think that God is the bad guy. But the question is, who else is going to do it? God is the one who has sinned against. God is the one who is rebelled against. God is the one who executes his judgment upon those who don't repent. So God is there with the sinner as he is getting the justice that he deserves. And we may not like this truth, but it doesn't make it any less true. God himself is personally in hell and he is pouring out his wrath on those who have sinned and rebelled against him. And it's even more of a punishment than if God was absent. God's presence in hell is even more of a punishment for those who are there than if God was absent. God is not passive in his judgment. He is actively punishing those who deserve punishment. God is the one in Revelation 14.10 who gives over the cup of his divine anger and wrath. And he pours out that wrath on those who have rebelled. And I know that there are many who don't like to talk about the wrath of God being poured out. We want the love of God without the wrath of God, but we can't have the one without the other. God is both the one who demonstrates his love and the one who pours out his wrath. God being present in hell does not make God evil. And that's going to be one of the things that people will say. God being present in hell means that he is a just God. And that he is pouring out his justice on those who rebelled. 
Now, people who oppose this might point to 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 10. And here's what it says. When he takes his vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. And on that day, when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by those who have believed, because our testimony among you was believed. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence. That may have popped out at you. That sure sounds like God isn't present when the people are being punished. So how do we reconcile what Revelation 14 says and what Second Thessalonians 1 says? The word here for presence in First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians means countenance or face. This means that the Lord will turn his face away from the unbelievers, those being punished. And when God turns his face away, it means that his favor or his blessing has been removed. Not that he is absent, meaning that God is present in hell, but he is withholding his goodness, his grace and his mercy and his kindness to those who are being punished. This will lead us to our final point. Though God is omnipresent, he does manifest himself differently at different times and in different places. For example, God was present everywhere, but he had a special presence with the Israelites in the tabernacle and the temple. Same thing with Mount Hebron when he gave the law to Moses. He was present everywhere, but he was specifically present there. He was everywhere, but he had a specific purpose for manifesting himself differently on the mountain. His presence in the burning bush was different than his presence in the rest of the world at any given time. So God is everywhere, but he chooses to show himself differently at different times and at different places, depending on his purposes. So God isn't necessarily tied to a certain time and a certain place. He can show up where he wants to show up, when he wants to show up, in a different capacity than when he is everywhere at the same time. This is important for practical reasons as believers. God isn't more present when we are here at church or during a worship service than he is when you are at work, necessarily. He isn't necessarily more present during your prayer time than he is when you are at the grocery store. Everywhere you go, he is present and he is with you meaning that there is nowhere that you can escape him. There's this old Latin phrase that goes this, that says quorum Deo, quorum Deo. And what that means is before the face of God, that we live our life before the face of God as followers of Jesus. Everywhere we go, we are before the face of God everywhere at all times in your cubicle at work on aisle three at HEB in your home, at church. Now God may choose to show up differently at a worship service, but we need to know that he is everywhere at all times and in all circumstances. This knowledge of God's omnipresence should inform us on how we think, how we act and how we behave. We should know that in the, in the darkest recesses of sin, in the highlights of doubt in our life, God is still there. We should know that in the brokenness and the despair of our lives, God is there. We should know that when we are rejoicing and overwhelmed with joy, God is there. There's nowhere that we can go to escape the presence of the Lord. So how we live our lives 
We live our lives in a way that honors him, not just in church, but in all places at all times. Because if you've submitted yourself to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you and God is with you all the, all the time. So the question is, do you have God dwelling in you? Are you pursuing him? Have you committed your life to Jesus? If not, he wants to have a relationship with you. Give him your life. He sees you. He knows you. He hears you. Submit to him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your life. The life of Jesus on the cross. Dying for our sins so that we could have a relationship with you. Thank you for your grace. Your mercy that you pour out on all humanity. Thank you, Lord, that as we say this prayer, as we sit in this room, we know that you are present. We don't have to invite you here. You are already here. We worship you. We know and love you. I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, that they would come to a saving knowledge of who you are. Lord, help us to live our lives before your face. Help us to know that where we go, what we do, what we say is important, that we are living before you. Help it to inform our actions, inform our discussions. Lord, transform our hearts, expand our minds, so that we can see you for who you are. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.